0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young.
2: And I'm Lisa Nalanok. This is the WFHB Local News 4, Thursday, March 10th, 2022.
1: Later in the program, we have Civic Conversations, a monthly podcast collaboration with the League of Women Voters of Bloomington and Monroe County. More in the bottom half of our program.
2: Also, coming up in the next half hour, we have coverage of the early voting site at 302 South Walnut Street during the latest Monroe County Commissioners' meeting. More in today's headlines. But first, your State House Roundup. From WFHB, this is the State House Roundup for Tuesday, March 10th, 2022. I'm Ysinda Larnock. Indiana State House Representative Sue Arrington co-authored legislation on the House Enrolled Act 1079, This act concerns what is legally defined in Indiana's rape laws to include that an act of rape is an incident in which someone is disregarded the other person's attempts to physically, verbally, or by other visible conduct, refuse the person's acts. Representative Arrington has spent the last three years fighting for Indiana's rape laws including the definition of consent in 2019 and authoring a consent bill in 2020. Errington, in her speech, commented that there are still more changes that need to be made." Errington said quote, "The original House bill version included language about rape by deception that was dropped in the final bill, and we need to monitor whether the language that passed will be interpreted by judges and juries."
1: In other news, both the Indiana House and Senate have passed the vote for the elimination of the requirement of a permit to carry a handgun as part of Indiana's gun laws. This means that anyone above the age of 18 in the state can legally carry a handgun, excluding convicted felons, minors, those with mental illness, and anyone dishonorably discharged from the military. The state Senate voted 30 to 20 in favor of eliminating the permit requirement. The law will not go into effect until it is signed by Governor Eric Holcomb. Governor Holcomb hasn't made a statement on whether or not he will sign the bill, If the governor chooses to veto the bill, then it will go back to the House and Senate. The purpose for the permit requirement in the past had been to help reject applicants attempting to carry a handgun with the previously mentioned exclusions. Another purpose for the permit requirement is for police officers to know when they've stopped someone that could carry a firearm. Governor Holcomb signing this bill would take away this protection for police officers. An action stated by State Police Superintendent Doug Carter as, quote, a vote against law enforcement, end quote. That's all for your State House Roundup. For WFHB News, I'm Cade Young.
2: On March 2nd, the Monroe County Commissioners Meeting Facility Manager Greg Crone asked the commissioners to approve multiple construction projects to ensure the early voting site at 302 South Walnut Street is accessible. Crone asked the commissioners to approve the installation of electric door openers and ADA push buttons.
3: Good morning, commissioners. And for everyone that's listening, this is not deja vu. I know we've been hearing a lot about election operations at 302 South Walnut, but this is just another part of that. Um, In order to improve accessibility for all at the location, and to get us into compliance, we need to install uh, two electric door openers on the front entry and exit doors, as well as uh, one exterior uh, ADA push button actuator and one on the interior. And this is for automated door access, who we currently use to provide support and installation for our other applications and other buildings. Uh, to get those implemented for us.
2: The commissioners voted to approve the project unanimously. Crone also asked the commissioners to approve the cleanup and painting of the building's exterior and the installation of the awning on the side of the building to protect voters from the elements. The commissioners voted unanimously to approve these requests. Chief Deputy Treasurer Elizabeth Sensenstein gave an annual Occupational Safety and Health Administration report. Commissioner Penny Githens asked why there was a jump in claims in 2021. Sensenstein explained that it was relatively consistent. And usually there is like a a yearly
0: comparison at the top um, and that wasn't included for some reason on the report this year. But um, in 2018, there were 49 claims, 2019, there were 40, 2020, there were 36. And then in 2021, there were 44. I think it, I think that in 2020, the number went down, um, because of, of COVID, but I think that that 44 number is the average, but I, there were four claims, um, in 2021 that, uh, Accounted for the majority of those costs, and they were just a little bit more severe claims, if that makes sense. Um, And so that's why those amounts uh, were a little bit higher. I think our incidents are pretty um, consistent. Uh, You know, we still want them to be less, but uh, I think
2: that there are just some high claims
0: in 2021.
2: The next Monroe County Commissioners meeting will be held as a hybrid model on March 9th. At
1: the Monroe County Election Board meeting on March 3rd, County Clerk Nicole Brown updated the board on 2022 satellite voting.
4: I was not here last week, but I hear that amazing things have been um, going on at the Napa building, for which, of course, we are incredibly grateful. Uh, Last evening, after I left the office, I received the report from CISA for the old Napa building, which I have forwarded to you, the commissioners. Um, Mr. Crone and Mr. Evans. Um, So I wanted to make sure that if you didn't already, if you haven't already accessed it, that you do um, with the understanding that I don't want to discuss any of those things on this public meeting, Um, but um, I am hopeful that those implement, those recommendations are implemented. And I replied, I believe I put in there that I'd also like to see to the extent possible those recommendations um, be implemented over at the Johnson Hardware Building as well.
1: Election Supervisor Karen Wheeler explained the upcoming election polling sites for the public.
4: So
5: we will have April 5th, starting April 5th will be early voting and it will be that week so that the 8th from 8 o'clock to 6 o'clock And then April 11th through the 14th, we have Friday the 15th off, which we know as Good Friday. Those days are from 8 to 6. April 18th from uh, to April 22nd, 8 o'clock to 6 o'clock. April 23rd, we have a Saturday from 9 o'clock to 4 o'clock. April 25th through April 29th, 8 to 6. April 30th, another Saturday, 9 to 4. May 2nd, we have just the morning. It's the day before election from 8 till 12. And I have them on here as election operations. That's where they will be located. And then on May 3rd will be the polling sites that everyone can go vote there at their polling site.
1: The election board approved the polling times. The next meeting will be held on April 7th.
2: Up next, we have Civic Conversations, a monthly podcast collaboration with the League of Women Voters of Bloomington and Monroe County. In today's segment, host Jim Allison speaks with Lisa Marie Napoli, Director of Political and Civic Engagement, or PACE, at Indiana University. Napoli also founded Voices for Democracy and Civility. The topic for this month's segment is the Indiana Civic Health Index Program. For more, we turn to host Jim Allison.
3: You're listening to Civic Conversations, a podcast collaboration between the League of Women Voters, Bloomington Monroe County, and WFHB. I'm Jim Allison, your host, and Becky Hill is our producer. We're very pleased to say you can find Civic Conversations every month at WFHB at 93.1 and 98.1 FM. Today we're pleased to welcome Lisa Marie Napoli, who is Director of Political and Civic Engagement Program, otherwise known as PACE. And she's also the founder of Voices for Democracy and Civility. Lisa Marie, thanks for being here today with us.
6: Thank you so much for the chance to be here.
3: Uh, and we got you to talk to us as much as you can or are willing to about the Indiana Civic Health Index, which is now in its fifth edition, first published back in 2011. And I wonder if you could start by telling us a little bit about what civic health is exactly and how it's measured and who put the index together.
6: Great. Sure. Yeah. So I'll start with the definition that they offer in the civic health index report. Um, And they say that civic health reflects the degree to which citizens participate in their communities from local and state governance to interactions with friends or family. So they really give us a spectrum there of ways to stay civically healthy. And they add civic health also relates to the overall well-being of neighborhoods, communities, states and the nation. And this uh, report was compiled um, with leadership from the Indiana Bar Foundation, but I'll name the partners in a moment. The way they pull the information together is that they examine three election cycles Um, basically six elections during 10 years and analyze the trends during that time. And they also uh, examine Hoosiers participation in civic life from 2010 to the present. And they use that information uh, to show what's going on in Indiana with the level of civic health as they define it. Um, The participants who, the partners who are part of creating this document include Indiana Northwest, Indiana Bar Foundation, Indiana Citizen Education Foundation, the Center for Representative Government at Indiana University, the Indiana Supreme Court, Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, the O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs, and the National Conference on Citizenship.
3: A very distinguished collection of groups, I must say. Indeed. Uh, The report talks about the Civic Education Task Force, which made some very notable recommendations in 2020. I was wondering, have those recommendations been implemented and have they encountered any impediments, any opposition?
6: Mm-hmm. So the Indian the Civic Education Task Force uh, recommendation report is quite extensive, and it has a lot of great suggestions for how Indiana can improve in the schools and in communities, and by looking at different states for best practices for how to improve. So, so there's a lot in there that they talk about that's very valuable for us to look at in terms of the progress. I know there has been uh, a release of. of conversations and these initiatives, I don't know how much um, it has hit the pavement, so to speak. I can't speak to that necessarily, but I can say that there's a lot of inspiration and a lot of new ideas generated because of this report and because of the great examples that they propose for um, Hoosiers to look at for improving civic health.
3: Okay, a major emphasis on this report is that Indiana always seems to rank very low nationally in terms of voter registration and voter turnout. And your research actually shows that voters often explain their apathy by saying that their votes don't matter. And they've actually got a point there because for example, after 10 years of elections when a third of the races for the state legislature had no competition and voters had no choice, and now they face a certain prospect of another 10 years of the very same thing, what's the impact of this gerrymandering on civic health and voter attitudes? Will the current maps perpetuate uncompetitive races and discourage voter turnout?
6: Right, great questions, important questions that we all need to be looking at right now. Um, Well, let's just start with the first piece about um, the races and the uncompetitive nature of that. So obviously, if you have more choices on the ballot, it's gonna generate more interest, it's gonna generate more people to go to the polls to vote. And this means the same thing at a local level, state level, or national level. So we see that, you know, across the country in that way. Um, And it's important that voters remember that each vote is a voice, vote does matter, and that this can change this, even though we may not be, or Hoosiers may not be inspired to go to the polls because of the race itself, they can go because they matter, their voice matters, and that these decision makers that they put into political positions will in turn have an effect based on the issues, how they approach them, how they address them, and how they vote. So we try to really emphasize that. Voter education is so important at times like this to understand not only the connection between citizens and policy making and how the vote makes the biggest difference in between that process, but also that, um, that we can make a difference in ways, in terms of like small D democracy ways, right? doesn't have to be always the capital D democracy that we're looking at, but that it matters at a very local level um, and that we can make a difference in, in regards to shifting that apathy to understanding the impact and to create more energy and um, encouragement around the value of it.
3: Okay. It just happens that I a couple of days ago, I read some Brown County school essays about voter turnout that tell me two things. The first thing is that who's your school children know about our poor turnout, it's no secret. Second thing, they know that a state like Colorado does so much better than Indiana because Colorado actually tries to make it easier to vote by means of measures that we don't have, such as automatic and same day voter registration, unrestricted absentee voting, election day voting more than 12 hours long. Just just to name a few examples. Should we emulate Colorado?
6: I think that example is a great one to amplify, and we could look at it and see what they're doing, how it's working, what are the positive benefits of what they're doing, what are the challenges and perhaps even drawbacks of what they're doing because most any decision we make in life has some pros and cons associated so it's good to look at the whole picture to give it a full assessment and to to celebrate that and to see yeah what could we bring here to indiana that colorado's already doing well and doing right all of that makes a big difference um it's it really boils down to educating and organizing right to be able to figure out what we know what we can do well and also If we don't have control over what's happening in the state, We can sure have control over what's happening in our local communities. Uh, For instance, a lot of the work that we do at IU for the Big Ten Voting Challenge, um, we we include um, input and representation from the Monroe County Election Office with the Supervisor Karen Wheeler. I know Clerk Nicole Brown has been very helpful for us in thinking through issues, especially during COVID when we were really trying to reduce obstacles to students voting and the community voting at large. But since our focus is on students, we want to emulate that as an example for the rest of the community. And I sure would love to tell those Brown County students what, how much IU has increased in terms of voter student turnout, because they would be strongly encouraged by that. Um, We have had a, from the 2016 presidential election to the 2020 presidential election, we had a 22 percentage point increase. Let me just say that again, 22% increase of student voter turnout, which far exceeds the national average of 13% too. So, I mean, all that, I would love all of the school kids in, in our larger community and around the state to know that it can be done.
3: Well, that sounds pretty encouraging. <laughs> I hope uh, so. Of course, the legislature plays a very important role here. So let's talk about that. What is the current legislative attitude toward voting in Indiana, would you say?
4: Well, yeah,
6: gauging legislative attitudes is always hard to determine, but I will say this. Obviously, we did not have a no excuse mail-in ballot in our last election, right? in in November. And we also had limited absentee voting. So, I mean, if that's indicative of the attitude, then that, those are tough, right? That Those are stumbling blocks in some ways toward um, getting out the vote in the fullest way possible. I do know that we have representatives um, in the assembly who are working hard to try to change that. Uh, so we do have our outliers, always important to mention all of the folks in different ways uh, up at the state house. And um, and I think that if they recognize, if state legislators recognize what's happening with youth voter turnout and recognize the significance of listening to younger 18 to 22 year olds, for instance, because that just so happens to be the population that we work with the most, um, that they, they can listen more and they can pay attention more. And perhaps they will think differently about how they um, implement absentee voting or other measures to become more inclusive with voting access.
3: Well, your optimism is infectious, I must say. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Great,
6: I hope so, because it's real.
3: (laughs) Okay. now, the report uh, mentions something called the Democracy Certified School Program. I wonder if you could tell us something about that, what its requirements are.
6: Yes, so the Democracy Certified School Program was uh, one of the pieces I mentioned in that very extensive report from the Indiana Civic Education Task Force, their recommendations. Um, And basically, their recommendation is to establish a democracy-certified school program similar to that found in other states, and that's modeled after the Indiana STEM certification program to encourage a holistic approach and improvement in civic education. So in a sense, what they're trying to do here is to get uh, Hoosier schools, if I could call it that, uh, to reimagine schools where democratic principles are deeply embedded within the entire school culture and the structure, uh, allowing civic learning to be reinvigorated in everyday schooling for for kids in the curriculum and the school environment, uh, leading to create active, engaged and informed citizens. And so I can't say that without saying that I believe that um, my the program here at IU, the Political and Civic Engagement pace Program, of course, I have a bias. I have the humble honor to direct right now. Um, that's what we do. That's what we've been doing for 12 years. And I think we can model that for high school, school you know, and all different kinds of education systems across the state. Um, I also feel that, um, you know, we have been a resource for high school students. Uh, we have uh, had interns who've worked with us we try to support them as much as we can we don't do a lot of direct work with them on a regular um you know sustainable way i'd like to do that more but we're not quite there yet with capacity um and so there's lots of possibilities i think to to having that work
3: well let's talk a little bit more about student engagement which the civic health index does touch on uh and this interested me partly because the league win voters for years has encouraged teaching high school students about the mechanics of voter registration and the mechanics of voting. And it's always advocated, in fact, for student registration of students in school. Is this included in your civic education model?
6: Yes, If you well, first off, I'd like to mention how grateful we are for the League of Women Voters, how they've been a resource for us in doing our work. We do a lot of campus community collaborative work, as I mentioned, and the mechanics of what they offer, especially in terms of training people to register voters And being able to offer nonpartisan information, we are a rigorously nonpartisan program as well, so we align very well with the league and are able to do a lot of good work in that way. in terms of the mechanisms behind, or the mechanics behind voter registration, voter turnout, and uh, non-partisan voter education, those mechanics we work hard at regularly. And we do that through um, messaging and campaigning, um, both in uh, local community media, as well as IU-focused media. And uh, we we offer what we can, when we can, to be able to prepare students to roll this work out. And we, have, we do a lot of tabling outside in the beautiful spring and fall uh, to be able to register voters. So that's just one small example.
3: Okay. Lisa marie Nackley, thank you very much for being with us today. And to our listening audience, thanks for listening to us on Civic Conversations. This is Jim Allison of the League of Women Voters, Bloomington-Monroe County. The League of Women Voters is a nonpartisan, grassroots, citizen-led organization that has fought since 1920 to improve our government and engage all citizens in the decisions that impact their lives. Next month, we talk to Ranjan Rahachi, who is Professor of Mathematics and Computer Sciences, St. Mary of the Woods, and he'll be talking to us about mathematically drawn redistricting maps.
1: That was Civic Conversations a monthly podcast collaboration with the League of Women Voters of Bloomington and Monroe County. To hear this program and all other episodes of Civic Conversations, visit wfhb.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Civic Conversations was produced by Becky Hill.
2: The State House Roundup was written by Emily McCoy. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Lucinda Larnock.
1: And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast, as well as all other WFHB news programming, online at wfhb.org.
2: The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program.
1: Stay tuned for Big Talk a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer.